Yakima Chief Hops is a 100% grower-owned hop supplier with a mission to connect brewers worldwide with the family farms that grow their hops. YCH is proud to provide brewers in Australia and New Zealand with quality hop products and brewing solutions to elevate their beers. Learn more at yakimachief.com. So what do you get for your investment? Your return is that you're part of this thing, mm-hmm. right? And if that this is, is very ret- capitalist of you to think that you need a return on everything, Matt. And welcome to Bruce News Week, recorded on 10 March 2022. I'm Matt Kirkegaard, founder and editor of Bruce News, and I'm joined by what now appears to, by popular demand to be our regular panel of senior journalist Claire Burnett and former executive director of the Brewers Guild of New Zealand and current industry consultant Sabrina Kudz. Welcome to you both. Hey, Matt. Hi, Matt. How did we go with the floods? Uh, we had a very abridged version last week that was yes. just the news um, because we were not just watching the industry, but many of us were grappling with being even able to get in here um, because of the floods. And I know, Sabrina, you mm-hmm. were affected. Yeah, I kept it um, out of the house just, um, came up through the drains and in through the garage. So we had quite a bit of clean-up. Um, in first world problems, I lost all my air conditioning and hot water, but in the scheme of um, not just my street, my area and people affected in Brisbane fared incredibly well. So I'm um, just, just really lucky. And Claire, you weren't affected, but out in your um, neck of the woods, it was certainly lots of creeks to cross to get home. It was rough, <laughs> yes. So um, we were fine. We were halfway up a mountain, so we are all right. Everything went downhill. But to actually exit the vicinity was a bit of a tricky one. Yeah. Um, couldn't take my little Kia Rio out anywhere, definitely. Uh, halfway up a mountain doesn't. I, I live on top of a hill, mm-hmm. um, a ground floor apartment, but on top of a hill. Mm-hmm. And because of the, the little yard outside my unit, it's on a foot and a half of sand, mm-hmm. but then you've got concrete down. There was so much rain that there was just nowhere for the water yeah. to go. So even though you know, just the water that was falling from the sky, not runoff, not floods, nothing so backing up. that's what ours was. It was just mm-hmm. water from yeah. the sky. And, y- you know, I know that um, for other parts of Australia, including northern New South Wales, you know, they were really affected. But we're talking like a thousand mils of rain in some of the suburbs. Oh, we is, got over a metre of rain. Yeah, yeah we got like 1,100, 1,200 over that. And the average rainfall for Brisbane for a year is 1,500 oh, mils. So that's crazy. That's to kind of put in context just how severe it was. And, um, you know, I know we're going to talk about it later, but it's, you know, you couldn't use the roads last week. There's mm-hmm. been no public transport. Um, a lot of it's just coming back online. It's um, a little bit like the bushfires where... You hear about it, you're aware of it, you know that it's affected, but to really try and understand the scale of it when you don't see it, it it's very hard to bring your frame of reference to. And yeah. it, it was biblical um, it, in, in it so was, many ways. It was unbelievable. And, you know, I was here, last time I lived in Australia was the 2011 flooding in Brisbane. And <laughs> so it's your thoughts, um, Which is really shocking. And, and the area that I now live in is the area my parents had lived in for about 25 years, and we've never seen anything like it. And, and this was different to 2011 because the flood, it was a very much a river-owned flood exactly. in 2011 where mm-hmm. the water had flowed largely from other places, even though it had a bit of a rain. It was a yeah. blue sky flood. Yeah. And so a lot of the minor creeks that weren't on the main river really didn't come up. Mm. Um, whereas this one, and, and this was in my backyard, where there were a couple of creeks nearby, they were crossing roads in yeah. a way that they just didn't in 2011. So this was a, a city-wide flood that affected much more people. And I know we're going to talk about breweries later, mm. but you know there are a couple of breweries that have been directly affected by if their brewery hasn't gone under, about the lack of roads, the creeks coming up, bridges being pulled out. Logistics, supplies, all of that, yeah. Changing what their their local clientele is going to be. So it's, you know, it's a really significant event. And it's not over. It's still, there are, um, New South Wales is still experiencing rain events. The the little bits of additional rain that we've had this week, there's no way for it to go. The Mm -hmm. rivers and creeks come straight up. So we are thinking about everybody. And and I I might just add, as we get into the news, these sorts of events for an, you know, a, a publication like Bruce News, it's an industry publication, can be very, very hard to cover because they are dynamic, they're changing, they are large scale in terms of breadth, but then also highly localised in terms of impact. Um, and it, it, it's hard to cover the, the depth of the news. We've had a lot of people telling us what's going on, 
but our editorial approach is to try and get out of the way because anything that we publish will automatically be out of date and use our social media to amplify the things that are happening. So, you know, and I'm very mindful of, you know, uh, all of the breweries that went under, but, you know, it's heartbreaking to see, for example, two mates in um, northern New South Wales who only just opened um, and probably won't uh, reopen, but we will come to that. But also this week, talking about another thing that has a huge breadth of focus, but then also highly localised events is International Mm -hmm. Women's Day. Um, It is. Happy International Women's Day to you both. Thank you. But yeah, belatedly. um, It was lovely. And it was actually really nice. Putting it officially on record for the podcast. Of course. And it was actually really nice to go through um, the podcast we've done in the past year and sort of highlight the women that we've spoken to that are making headway in the industry, that are prominent in the industry, and that have some really uh, important things to say, not just about being women in the industry, uh, about the industry as a whole as well so it was nice to go back through them and we posted them all to our Facebook page if anyone wants to go and have a gander as well. You know I was watching Twitter and I can't remember what the name of the site but it was it was basically set up it was International Women's Day pay gap bot or something like that where any business that shared you know we're celebrating International Women's Day, this bot responded by saying, and here's your pay gap you know here's your gender-based pay gap Um, (laughs) and you're sort of going well you can make it's a very important day it's very important to to recognize as you know these days tend to be but editorially we decided Mm -hmm. to celebrate it it, it's a 365 day a year issue and Mm -hmm. the thing that i did um or or the posts uh, you know i think some breweries shared some of the work that they're doing in the space Mm -hmm. which is really good but the other thing i um liked to see just sort of you know from a visibility standpoint was a lot of breweries shared uh, photo uh, breweries and, and suppliers. So a lot of people in our industry shared photos um, and stories about the women working in their businesses mm-hmm. um, to make their businesses better. And I thought dangerous that game because I'm going to go and talk to them all. <laughs> <laughs> but I thought that was really great because I think you know um, it comes back to sort of part of what this is. You know, I know the the thing this year was break the bias, but part of it is just if you can't be something, if you can't see something, you don't want to be something. And so mm-hmm. the fact that there were. Yeah. Um, so many women in the industry mm-hmm. being made visible, I just yep. thought was, um, you know, if you if you look through all That's of it. the posts, there are a lot of women working in the, in the Australian beer yep. industry and exactly um, contributing and I just thought that was good to see as a, you know, when you see it all come together, you can actually yep. sort of see the volume. I thought that was good. That's it. And as I've said before, uh, there are so many women in the industry that work behind the scenes That's rather right. than uh, the general face of the business That's who right. you would go to for comment or um, who do the videos or who do the promos or whatever. But they are all there and they are yeah. involved and I think you don't realise it until you see yeah, them as you Yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. That's how I felt about mm-hmm. it anyway. So that Agreed. was good. Yeah. Well done all. Well, thank you. And uh, let's perhaps get on to get the cracking. news of the week. So. Claire, um, Batch acquires Bucket Boys. It does indeed. So um, Batch Brewing has acquired Bucket Boys after a difficult period for the beer retailer and venue operator. Uh, Bucket Boys Marrickville Shop and online store will remain branded as Bucket Boys, but its Darling Square Bar will be rebranded as a Batch. Uh, Now there's some interesting implications for uh, investors in the equity crowdfund of Bucket Boys, uh, which it undertook in 2019 and valued the company at uh, around about $10 million. But we will have a discussion about that below the fold. Uh, And then we've got uh, some lovely news on the Queensland front, uh, Matt. Yes, you uh, were there. You were there. Uh, I was. I was uh, <laughs> emceeing um, the, the, the awards and presenting the awards, which was a, a, a great thrill. Um, Vic Pills wins best beer at Royal Queensland Beer Awards. Stomping Grounds Czech Pilsner won the gold and the and also won the title of Australia's best beer at the Royal Queensland Food and Wine Show Awards. And also. Slightly late to the party, was named champion large brewery as well. There was a bit of a mix-up with the the, the, the scores there. Um, Stomping Ground beat a record number of 570 entries to take the title of Grand Champion Beer, winning a $5,000 line bursary to invest in their business. The brewery was also named champion large brewery, as I just said, uh, after... Um, a revisit. Uh, uh, Black Hops <laughs> had uh, yes, have incorrectly mm-hmm. been named. Um, Queensland Breweries also made a splash and received 14 of the 17 available trophies. Fallon's Brewing won the champion brew pub, while Moffat Beach claimed the champion small medium brewery award. Um, so that was very yeah. exciting. And I, I'll just uh, say there that the uh, we are involved as MC and also we are commercial partners um, of the Royal Queensland uh, Food and Wine Show Beer Awards. But it's really exciting to see a 
competition that is looking at commercial outcomes because there were two categories where you don't just get a, a, a trophy to put in your, you know, gather dust in your trophy cabinet. Um, there was the cash bursary to invest in the business mm-hmm. and then also the champion um, young, or sorry, best new brewer, brewer. Mm. best new brewer, um, gets a commercial content, uh, contact with the Brisbane Treasury Casino. And um, that was Jared at Felons. That was Jared at, at Felons, Jared. Uh, Palu. Um, but also, yeah, um, but we might actually talk a little bit more about that in Below the Fault. Um, Claire, uh, just touching back to breweries impacted Indeed. by floods. Uh, obviously, as we've discussed, Queensland and New South breweries were heavily impacted, as many other businesses and uh, homes were, by flooding. Two mates, one of the hardest hit, been receiving report support from communities and other breweries, but there really is still a question about whether uh, the brewery will be able to reopen. Um, there are GoFundMe pages, which we'll include in the show notes for them. For Brisbane breweries, there's a fundraiser going on on the Saturday the 12th of March. This is that this Saturday. And also Sunday now at Stone and Wood, Brisbane as well. Ah, so fantastic. they've added it so as well. So uh, okay. yeah, so if, if you are in Brisbane, maybe jump on social media. As we said, we don't want to become the intermediaries for these sorts of things. We'll mm-hmm. just sort of help amplify them. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, uh, at Easy Times, there'll be live and online auction, Golden Growlers to bin on. You can pre-order t-shirts. Uh, the IBA has also posted some links and resources for da- disaster relief as well. So we will either share that or put a link in the show notes um, for you to have a look at that as well but matt we've got some other interesting news on the education piece on the education front the ibd launches essentials in brewing course the institute of brewing and distilling has launched essentials in brewing a course for beer industry supporting roles such as sales and marketing or hospitality professionals to learn about the basics of beer and the brewing process the course provides an overview of the brewing process from the history of brewing and raw materials through fermentation and maturation to the basics of packaging. The understanding of the learning material is self-assessed in each unit. At the end of the course, learners will receive a certificate of completion from the IBD. So this is a course that's probably augmenting some of the, I think, Siebel Institute in the US, um, the Cicerone program um, has something similar, just really to get people who either work behind a bar or even in supporting roles in breweries mm-hmm. some accredited, you know, significant uh, um, training um, to help them better understand the uh, brewing industry. Um, so that was a, awesome. yeah, a, a nice to see anything education-wise in the brewing industry. Absolutely. So, uh, but Claire, uh, probably not news as such, but something that uh, we've, we've written more on the Brewery industry pro, trends, um, you know, e- evolution, mm-hmm. uh, digital decals. Yes, yeah, so this one was from our uh, journalist, Vivian Topolovich. She was writing about digital tap decals. So um, they've started to gain traction within the industry in pubs, bars and breweries themselves, aiming to replace standard static uh, decals on bar taps. Um, so an interesting marketing point there, uh, potentially another revenue stream for the bars as well. So go and have a look, little look at that and then run down on that. And if anyone's ever used them before or is interested, uh, let us know because um, I want to see them in action. I don't think I've been to Easy Times well. They've had them in actually, so uh, I know well, Easy Times, Easy has Times got in them. Brisbane. Uh, Brewski's got them uh, in Brisbane again, but yeah. uh, I, I, I have seen them around nationally. Um, they're, oh, they're a great really? way, uh, yeah. yeah. So, um, but can that's I just ask a silly question? Yep. Mm-hmm. Is it decals or decals? Because I see, de- I say I decals. Didn't know how to say it, so I just deferred to whatever Matt <laughs> said. Is that the Australian? <laughs> Could it be decals in North America? Possibly. I no, think I, I, know, st- I started to call them decal- decals. Because I just I heard like, it. No, and I was like, I don't think I've ever heard it pronounced like that. Anyway, this is just. You think it was just me time. being a foreigner? I <laughs> not having a clue. No, because Matt said it first. So I was like, that's oh, yeah, weird. Yeah. But, mate, I don't know. Okay. No doubt we'll get emails. Yeah. Um, people suggesting it. So, uh, But that is the. Isn't it ironic that. Slow, slowish sort of news week uh, after yeah. big news week uh, last news. week. So we might come to some of last week's news in Below the Fold. Yes, it would be nice to have a chat about them. But that is the news that you can use in your businesses. Actually, a nice little segue is mm. the uh, Queensland Food and Wine Show Beer Awards were presented by a good friend of ours, uh, Rallings Label Stickers and Packaging. Um, hey. And if Because they're not just able to sponsor competitions, they're able to supply labels for your cans, uh, dear listener, if you work in the brewing industry, uh, or bottles. But they can also supply printed or blank cartons, can trays, tap decals, barcodes and shrink sleeves already applied to empty beer cans ready for filling. Now, the guys do often get asked, where would a brewery buy a shrink-sleeving machine? We probably need to update this copy, guy, uh, this, this copy guys, uh, if you're listening, and I know you are, um, to apply the sleeves to the cans. But this is not the case. The cans come to your door palletised and ready to fill. Nothing more to do. Give them a call on 1300 852 235 to discuss further. That number, if you're driving, don't 
reach for a pen now because it is in the show notes if you look at your podcasting device. And uh, great to see the Rallings uh, guys supporting the industry um, by sponsoring the uh, Queensland Awards. Um, now, with the news of the week done, let us disappear below the fold. Who wants to uh, go back to last week? We had Better Beer and Brick Lane, which was an interesting one. So um, for those who didn't um, hear last week's abridged version, uh, Better Beer is defended against uh, Brick Lane's claims in a legal case that it brought to the Federal Court of Australia's New South Registry in late December last year. So it's basically sort of responding to those allegations about Better Beer it was pretty much across the board, a, a, like a denial, like a no, we haven't done any of this. Um, and I'm not. I was kind of surprised. I thought that there would be like a we will come to an agreement about this instead of dragging out. But you know, if you want to protect your IP and your brand and everything, I guess you've got to fight for it. But I guess it's one of those things that once it gets because there is you know letters back and forth before mm-hmm. proceedings are actually. And if there was a dis, you know if there was willingness to. That would have happened that prior to... That would have happened to, before the lawyers yeah. got involved and yeah, things like that's that. Yeah, interesting. So. Well, I was pretty firm, you know, when we first discussed this about, you know, well, that really comes down to the timeline. Mm. You know, who knew what, when and when did it happen? And it seems based on these filings... Did you see my timeline as well? Did you so like my timeline? I did like the timeline. Yep, and you. that is precisely sort of what they're arguing, which is our design was done and dusted and we had started before we saw Sidewinder in the market. So it really does come down to that timing question, right, which is what I had sort yep. of Because the case is started. on passing off. So it's, you right. know, th- th- it's not infringement or anything yep. like that. It, it is actually passing off. But that's where the point that you made uh, when we first talked about it, that you know, regardless of who was first, who was second, things like that, mm-hmm. at, at, at some point, I think, uh, as you said, yeah. I, you know, I agree with what you said, that... Um, you sort of go, well, okay, yes, this is inconvenient, we don't like it, and we had the idea first or potentially had the idea first, but there is a potential for confusion in the marketplace. Um, I, I I guess in hindsight, and I think we're going to come to the better beer, or to, to the, um, uh, we're going to discuss the uh, Mighty Craft I think story, yeah, we so, can, so we can roll all in. that in in the same place. Mm. Mighty Craft is forecasting this this year to be a 4 million litre brand. Um, which yes. is a significant size, mm. um, and so it's within their interests to fight. Potentially this. a bigger brand than, well, in fact, certainly a bigger brand than the uh, Brick Lane Sidewinder. Mm. Anyway, so sorry, Mighty Craft was predicting uh, that better, better beer, beer will be a better just brand. better beer, and that's fifty yes, yes. percent yeah. of the beer output that Mighty Craft is predicting for yeah. all of its brands. Yeah. So all the rest of them together we'll will do 4 million. And, and instantly, Better Beer is going to be multiples like uh, you know, of their, their portfolio of founders' mm-hmm. first um, breweries. <laughs> so yeah. It was really interesting. I, I don't know, this is sort of, um, thank God this is below the fold. I went on an investor call for the Mighty Craft thing and it was really interesting. So this is where... For those who don't know, investors like major investment companies get to ask questions about the performance of the business. And it really highlighted to me how they don't necessarily know that much about the industry because they one of them suggested that the could, investors don't know. The investors. Or, 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 so, and the investors are money managers, yeah, institutions. institutions. They yeah. look at it differently. That, that's Completely the thing. differently to the way we look at <laughs> it. They it don't was care what hops are in it. They don't care. No, no. <laughs> you know. They were just like, can, can, you, uh, can you brew it in a bigger brewery? And I was like, can you find a bigger brewery than Australian Beer Co? Well, there, like, there's there a are few, one or two, but yeah. But yeah, yeah, Lion and CUB ain't going to go for that, I don't think. Um, but yeah, that was it was absolutely fascinating to see it from that perspective. It was really, really interesting. Um, but to the outside world, to everybody who's not in beer, my, like better beer is this huge explosion. And so to them, that is so worth protecting. No wonder that they're continuing on with, this court case. I hope they all reach settlement pretty soon and someone moves something because mm-hmm. it doesn't seem to be in the anyone's interests. interests. Mm. Um, and, you know, 
So it, but I mean, mm-hmm. it will be an interesting if it goes to a court case. Yeah. It will be an interesting um, decision in terms of oh, it's what great passing for us. Yeah, it's fascinating. <laughs> you know, it's, like from when an, you say it doesn't benefit anybody, <laughs> well, sorry, like, and, and, and you know, like from it, an it, intellectual, it's not a clickbait story or anything like that. But yeah. it is a fascinating. Mm-hmm case to be arguing yep. to provide resolution to provide guidance to the, to the rest of the industry agreed yep. like for all of those things providing guidance to the industry creating some jurisprudence for our industry mm-hmm. thinking about these types of topics so that we can do better all of that mm-hmm. it's great but for the parties involved it's not great but I, I think um you know it was interesting to see that they basically just laid down you know their core argument is mm-hmm. um is their timeline Mm. It's not passing off because um, you, Signwiner, weren't big enough in the marketplace yep. mm-hmm. at the time that we launched our product. Yep. They do make some arguments about we're not substantially similar. Um, it's just a retro vibe. Mm-hmm. And they did mention a few other sort of yep. completely outside the beer space that have very similar mm. branding. Was Aldi one like of them? <laughs> Possibly. Well, I showed you the, po- the picture yeah. that was a total rip-off of Fork and Brewer okay. in 2019. <laughs> Look, it's going to be really fascinating for us on the outside, but mm-hmm. I'm just not sure that it's, no. you know, useful for anyone involved. But at this, at the same time, you know, the teams at Brick Lane and Mike Craft, these, they are high level, they're corporate kind of people. Like this yeah. is the kind of stuff that the corporate world, like this is just standard for them. Which brings us. It's not for us, I, again, but for them it is. It brings us to last week's story about Mighty Craft where you are on the mm-hmm. investors call and you wrote about it and, you know, this this business that, uh, you know, late last year I spoke to um, Mark Hazeman again, um, you know, uh, for our annual catch-up and actually got a little bit more into the weeds uh, about some of the corporate, um, talking about the investor call. Mm-hmm. You know, clearly he can say we're looking, you know, a platform for growth, we're looking mm-hmm. for scale, we're looking at these things, talking to people that don't understand what that actually means in the brewing industry. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you actually work in the brewing and we cover the story for the brewing industry and start talking, well, what does that look like? None of your breweries have scale. And it was interesting that they're going to jettison or they're potentially willing to, you know, get one or two of the breweries, um, you know, move them on to, yes. to other yep. things. And you think, well, you know, one of the stories that um, Founders First talked, we're here to, you know, activate the Founders get their brand scale, we've got backgrounds in the brewing industry, mm-hmm. you know, we know how to do this. And the Mighty Craft, since I've got a Mighty Craft, mm-hmm. the model just that they started with doesn't yeah. seem to have been... The name change seemed seems such a milestone now. It seemed like a pivotal oh. moment of oh, yeah, like, I'd, we're changing our strategy. Well, but but, <laughs> but I mean, they weren't changing their strategy because they still... No, they, well, I mean, look, I just put it this way. I mean, it's the conversation that we had offline about um, if you are an accelerator or you've ever been through accelerator training, fail fast is part of it. And mm-hmm. they have tried something new in the brewing industry. Mm-hmm. It didn't work. They didn't achieve the what they set out to what achieve. they thought they were going to be able to do. Mm-hmm. But in doing that, they've discovered something else they could do that will make money that will be sustainable they've pivoted Mm -hmm. that's what they've done Mm -hmm. maybe they haven't done it as um consciously and i don't mean that in the stone and wood way i mean um thoughtfully (laughs) um and maybe haven't been able to articulate that but that's essentially what's happened right they headed down a path where they thought we can use our knowledge and expertise to make other businesses um go faster be better we can share back-end resources, so on and so forth. And now they've gone, oh, we can do some of that, but only with organisations that are at um, a particular level maybe or... Well, I, I, if, if it was that, I would 100%. But it was last December that I spoke to Mark. He was, you know, doubling down on their strategy hadn't changed um, as recently as then. But this is, I mean, sometimes you're in something, you don't know your strategy has changed because you you're doing it, you're yeah. living it, right? Yeah, yeah, and so, but I mean, from the outside, and I look at it, I mean, again, um, from a business portfolio perspective, we know that building breweries and brewing brands is an expensive capital mm. laden. If they're going to use better beer, their contracted outsourced beer to make the money that they can invest in their other brands, then... Like everybody needs a portfolio where they've got the racehorse 
to well, help do the things that are less sexy, right? I, I'm not suggesting that's what's happening. I'm just saying you can understand from managing a portfolio why if you're onto a winner, you're going to back the winner. <laughs> well, except – okay, and, and so stepping outside of the business – one of the things that struck me when they were when they were talking about the the, the people you know, we've got this background in CUB you know we come from the the big um, liquor retailers we've dealt with, with with them CUB has never been good at incubating small brands <laughs> <laughs> you know and even even Matilda Bay being an example big craft beer brands mm-hmm. they weren't good at and there was that was always my observation about Mighty Craft is there is a certain level of hubris in the people behind Minecraft thinking that we can go from a company that didn't do it very well and create a company that is going to do it well. But that's when suddenly they're, they're the one thing that they're actually succeeding with is better beer that is actually the sort of beer that they know. You know, it's a, it's a mainstream. Mm. And go back and listen to the chat with the, the great chat with Nick Cogger talking about this. They're not good at incubating small niche brands that have a limited appeal to the marketplace the brand that, and I'm not even going to give the Mighty Craft because the idea behind the better beer is what's seen it take off. And we're yet to see whether Mighty Craft actually has the skills to to take it to the next level. Nick was very, uh, very, very confident. But better beer um, has exploded because there was a latent demand in the marketplace. It was a really good idea. The um, inspired unemployed were a really nice fit for it. And at least as an outsider watching this, so much of this comes from the founder, Nick, mm. um, you know, Nick's idea. And again, go and listen to that podcast. It was fascinating to talk about, you know, the, the failing of entrepreneurs and how many times you have to yeah. fail. And, but he, he's tried stuff. He's found it. He's, he's moved on from things and found something that's exploded. I'm still yet to see any evidence that Mighty Craft is going to add value to that and if they do are they going to change their name again because it's what's well, a better bit <laughs> it's not a beer in the craft beer space oh, look if i was going to decide i was going to take a winner and i was going to find somewhere that i wanted to reinvest that money in the business and i had looked at my portfolio and gone these ones i think are going to be successful for these reasons and all of the time you're making those pivots and you're getting yourself oh, ready no, like okay. that makes a lot of sense right from yep. a business perspective and then you get into what is craft and is it craft and who's the consumer and what's this doing for the beer industry? And that's where it, because we're an industry, like that's where it all comes unstuck. The craft beer tag will limit a beer like, like better beer. Look at how even Stone and Wood resiled from we're not craft, we're something else. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then that, that's why, like I'm not, I, I don't want to get into debate about whether yeah. it is craft or not, but, I'm, but the more the better beer is seen as craft and, it's, and the market doesn't see it as craft. So... It, it just doesn't have that sort of craft appeal. Do it's you it's something not different. think it could be a gateway? Oh, that, that's a different – okay. so the, okay. that okay. is a consumer um, marketing yeah, that's thing. that's right. That's not a, a business and a growth um, yeah. d- d- discussion. My question then is for Mighty Craft, okay, it's a business that started to amplify and to, you know, um, accelerate tiny little craft breweries. Mm-hmm. They're jettisoned some, some of those, the craft breweries that they've taken – control of are growing you know ballistic and you know, one or two of them are actually growing quite well mm-hmm. none of them are going to go stone and wood to, to that they haven't scale seen astronomical growth where they're they've seen go, good strong growth but they've I, not I, seen i was at a explosion. conference earlier this week yeah. where um an accounting firm talked about uh 10 years ago they had been invited to do a funding round for stone and wood for 10 percent of the company for seven hundred fifty thousand dollars, <laughs> um, wow. which valued at 10 years ago at 7.5 million you know and, and the um, the, the the guy was sort of saying, you know, when it went for five hundred million, that's a fifty nine percent compounding return over ten years, which is pretty. Ma- Mighty Craft, which has listed on the stock market, what, and I don't have its market cap in front of me, but it's raised a lot of money on the ASX to get a return on that investment from small craft breweries who aren't going to go stone and wood. Um, you know, is is going to be very very hard, but. Look at the counterpoint when you've got a, a, a beer that is going mainstream, that is, you know, has a, a, a huge. Mighty Craft don't own a brewery that can produce it. They're always going to be paying toll rates. The bigger it gets, the bigger that is a, as a problem for them. You know, m- most small entrepreneurs who start a brand hoping that it does what Better Beer is doing do it. 
knowing that at some stage it's going to be bought by a line yeah. or a CUB who then take it in-house. You know, so, or so they, they buy do it for so the that potential. they can afford – they start as a contract manufacturer yep. so that they can make enough money to buy their own tin, right? Oh, well, oh yeah, but uh, um, like a, a beer that's going the way that better beer is is always going to – be more attractive well, to a maybe national. That, maybe you know, that's the uh, point. Maybe okay. maybe they plan to sell. Okay, so well, the, the, make a lot of money and reinvest it. And and, and this is the question, you know, um, it, that does Mighty Craft then sell off one of its brands um, and it's, go back to being, you know, do they who's keep going to buy it? I always think because you like, only capture lightning gonna... in a bottle once. Like even Stone and Wood, as successful as they did, they never had a follow up act. Creating a follow up act to any business. Everyone's got a flagship beer. There aren't too many breweries that have got a second flag. And CUB, um, where a lot of the Minecraft guys came from. Fat Yak, no follow-up. You know, Matilda Bay, could they tried to they tried 15 different variations of trying to build the rest of the brewery around Fat Yak, which was the right beer at the right yeah. time with the right brand. Couldn't do it. How does, you know, if Mighty Craft sells, you know, w- w- what is the end game for Mighty Craft? I don't know. Um, even with a, a tremendously successful, mm-hmm. you know, well-executed play like Better Beer, mm-hmm. what is the end game for Mighty Craft as a business as opposed to Better Beer? Yeah, I think. I mean, I think that's interesting. Who knew? Knows somebody surely must be publishing that as part of their ASX thing. Uh, um, it's and unclear. Yeah. So, this I is, so I, I think clear as mud. In fact, <laughs> yeah. no one's really talking about it about, because yeah. the, well, the, the market think... talk about different things than, than we do. No one yeah. really yeah. talks about it. Well, yeah. I think they probably don't talk about it because, um, you know, they'll be pretending there's commercial sensitivity around strategy. I don't so think they so know. So there's they that. But <laughs> definitely don't know. Um, but I do think like the, the if I sort of step back and go, well, who cares? Why are we having this conversation? The one thing that I think is interesting is what does it mean for independence and this question around so better beer is an indie beer, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Through all of this complicated ownership structure. Yeah. So what does that mean for the IBA? What does that mean for the way that you would describe an indie beer, right? Like and do consumers – like, is there this relationship between we're having I don't having think anyone's it. buying it because it's independent. Right. So, this is yeah. – but so, I, so, I guess this sort of – I do think what's in, interesting for industry when we step back at who are all these owners and everything is, well, what is it that has cracked – like, it is the consumer play. What is it that has has broken the craft bubble to get this out from um, what could have been a craft – I don't think, I don't, but I don't think it was ever a craft beer. Like it's, it, it doesn't. It's make, only a craft beer in that it wasn't brewed by CUB or Lion. But that isn't that's that, the, uh, isn't, isn't the, that the definition point. of independence as opposed to the well, definition you just of craft? So. Cool, because yeah, again, yeah, but without, this is my point, right? It has come from without a significant marketing budget, hmm. without owned taps, without so on and so forth. So it has cracked. You're calling it a mainstream beer, sure. We're talking about there's a lager for everyone. So, so, so no, no ma- mainstream audience. It, it's because the people who are buying it just don't they, – they like it as a product. They don't care whether it's independent. They don't care whether it's craft. They don't care. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I think to a large extent they don't really care that Inspired Unemployed are behind it. I think that amplifies you – know, that, that sort of but – th- But that's the real qu- – that's the real thing for small breweries to understand, right? What is it about this lightning-in-a-bottle can that is cr- causing a mainstream audience to purchase it over a range of alternatives – that's that's the that's the and thing. That's the that's key the question. Key question right? Everyone is going to look at it and come away with their own. But this is that's why. Right. So that's what I actually think is the interesting yeah. point about it, right? Is but we don't think it's because it's independent or it's because it's craft because it's this is what's called lightning in a bottle because it, you, you've done something. Yeah. The you've just had it, it's the poker machine wheels. You know, you can have one you know orange come up. And you don't win anything. You can have two oranges come up and you don't win anything. You need all three oranges and suddenly you get yeah. the big jackpot. I, I get and that. It's, but and I it's a random you know, thing. And But I don't know that it is – like if you look at Pacific Ale from Stone and Wood, like that was a new beer style that hit the market at the right time. Mm. Better beer is not a new style. It's not a new – it's not uh, a new product. I, uh, well, I, I, it, it, it's not it's, a new flavour the way that Stone yeah, and Wood yeah. um, Pacific Ale was. Right. But – there is something unique about the offer that it is. As you know, zero because like Burley Brewing, um, 
had zero um, carbs yeah. a decade ago and mm-hmm. have, have built a very, very strong Lot, brand. There's yeah. plenty of beers out there that are zero carb yeah. now. Yeah, uh, yeah but, and they were one of the first. But it, So it's not just the zero carb. It's not just the fact that it's in a can. It's not just the design. Um, you know, th- there is a whole lot. And then there is a, something really, really smart about the way that it's been marketed, mm. um, that all of which have come together. In the same, again, Fat Yak wasn't a new beer style yeah. when it was launched. There was just something about the way that everything came together, the three oranges came up on the rotor that just clicked. But then you had apparently some of the smartest marketing people in the beer business who couldn't replicate it and who couldn't capitalise on it for the rest of the brand. And this is the challenge. And Stone and Wood, you know, again, the insights that were brought to bring that beer out, a new hop variety um, at a time when everyone else was going, you know, that was the start of the bitterness wars. They went a different way. They had some insights that were next level genius. Mm. But even they couldn't follow up um, with with another, you know, with with all of the genius because there is so much luck and randomness associated with having the right product because there's a timing imperative as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So mm. anyway, I, I, I know we've spent <laughs> half of our below the fold. Well, on. there's not too much else it's to talk it's about. It's very is interesting. It is. it is interesting. There's a lot actually. There's a lot going on there. Right. So we got to the first article. Um, okay. So uh, <laughs> as far as we got. Oh, actually, I, I did want to touch a little bit on Batch Acquires Bucket Boys, which was oh, an yes. interesting one. Okay, um, cool. Again, awesome news for Batch. Um, in, yep. in a way, they've got an outlet, but uh, you know, I don't want to. I, I, I don't want this to be. Matt hates equity crowdfunding um, because <laughs> I think I, you've got a reputation for that already. Well, I, and, and it some, like sometimes because I sort of speak out about you know I don't just say everything is awesome that people pigeonhole yes. me things. Yes, equity crowdfunding is a brilliant way for businesses to unlock capital, um, small businesses to unlock capital in a way that they may not necessarily. My problem is always that it is sold as an investment. It's but what sold. is your specific problem with this specific case? Okay, in a lot of ways this. Pairing highlights some of the problems with the way that equity crowdfunding is sold as an investment. Bucket Boys, you know, people loved it as a bottle shop. People loved it as a um, bar. People love what it represented. You saw that coming through. But when they crowdfunded, and even sort of looking at their um, crowdfunding documents, they hadn't. I think they had only just barely turned a profit um, when they went. With this ten million dollar valuation, trying to rise, raise a million. But they were dollars. open about that, and people investors yeah, regardless. I, I, and that, but that's the thing. Yeah. So, yeah. okay, if that's your argument that people are open about it, then you don't need to dress it up as an investment. You just dress it up as something because a GoFundMe, a, a GoFundMe, <laughs> because you could buy a bottle shop that had better turnover and better um, profit for one hundred eighty thousand dollars back they when they did that. I, I mean, I don't know if you have this to hand, but there are not institutional investors. Invested sophisticated in investors, not sophisticated yeah. institutional investors investing in Bucket Boys for a return. No, the vast majority of okay, their again, equity. That being crowd- the case, if people yep. will invest regardless of the promise of a return, why market it as an investment? Because an investment is something you invest in for a return. If no, it is just yeah, but you, but you get a share of this awesome business that you get to, but you're saying, you don't get to have a, a, a say in the running of the business because. Everybody, the batch investors and the bucket boys investors, completely surprised by this. So, what do you get for your investment? Your return is that you're part of this thing, mm-hmm. right? And if that it's is the very ret- capitalist of you to think that you need a return on but, everything, well, okay, okay, a financial return. So, what makes an equity crowdfunding different from the old crowdfunding that didn't? The reward-based. No, crowdfunding was rewards. So, you know, I think... That's what I mean, reward-based crowdfunding. I think you're dancing in the semantics. Okay, well, I'll bring it to the reality. The reason that it matters, and the the same reason you asked about, the reason that it matters is the number of people who come to me going, we're thinking of opening a brewery because everyone is making shitloads of cash in this industry. You know, look at that. This bottle shop is worth $10 million. Yes, they're not looking at the balance sheet saying they're losing money. That's right. And they've continued to lose money um, since then. The perception that washes out into the broader community because yeah, I agree with everybody that. else, you know, mm. seemingly apart from us, focuses on the $10 million valuation. Isn't this awesome? They've raised $1.2 million yep. or whatever it is. That is the st- even the AFR commenting that, that supposedly the premier financial mm. publication in this country covered this. <laughs> didn't talk about. about how the inordinately 
wrong valuation for the business. Yeah. Now, there, there, mm-hmm. again, you, you can talk about, tell me that I'm wrong about it being sold as investment or whatever. Oh. There is no universe ever that a bottle shop, a is, bottle worth shop is worth $10, 10 million. million. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. That's One fair. bottle shop that yeah. has plans to open more, yeah. not worth $10 million. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Didn't even touch on that. Yeah. And even then... The clickbait headline, because it is a business that is that sells its news as opposed to reporting on the industry, on, on any industry, there will be more takeovers. Um, it took one line about oh, two-thirds yeah. of the way yeah. down. Yeah. Yeah. And, and anyway, and, and that's why it matters, because it is sucking in more ill-informed capital mm-hmm. who think that it is there are rivers of gold flowing in the brewing yeah, industry so that there just aren't. is that there's an implicit suggestion in all these things that you are going to make shitloads of money out yes. of this. Yeah, mm. and I think, look, Fair. I th- Fair. I think the challenge that you're pointing out, Matt, um, I would even take it one step further. So I think people can invest their capital, their money, their spare money, however they want into anything they want. Of and course, their yeah. responsibility is to undertake due diligence. Yep. And no amount of clickbait headlines is sufficient no, no, due and, diligence. And, and, and again, so and many so of the people that I've spoken to that have invested in all of their equity, I just, you know, I love the brand. I love yeah. it. And, and that's the thing. So that, that's one point, which is, so um, people can invest their capital. They have responsibility for due diligence. But I do think this idea that if this happens over and over and over again, and to your point about this this leaking out into the broader industry. So at a time when craft is trying to craft independent, small breweries are trying to define themselves as something distinct from support community, local, and so much of the branding around small breweries, brew pubs, craft is about community. If it gets to the point where we're really starting to piss off so many people because they've lost money, then I think that becomes a perception of the industry, that. right? Like Again, the, that, that perception of industry problem yeah. that nobody's got their shit together. That, well, that's you know, the beer quality like, issue as well. If there is enough bad agree. beer out there, it hurts so, the industry. Yeah, so yeah. Yeah, so yeah. that's yeah. the that's same way point. that I think about it. Like, like I go, if this happens over and over, there's going to come a point at which mm-hmm. it hurts a business that is genuinely trying to go, that genuinely has a plan <laughs> in it, yes. place. Yeah. That, that is, yeah. that, that know, is so actually not the argument I was making, but that is a good argument to make. So, you know, Black Hops has done fairly well in terms of its transparency around its crowdfunding it's actually promised things it's followed up Mm -hmm. it's tried to and so you are actually going to affect businesses that genuinely want to use everybody's competing with the worst actors in an industry that's right yeah and so i think you know so so i can kind of come at it with that lens i guess which is if we're not careful, beer quality is the example, treatment of staff is the example, yep. all of those things. If if one business is underpaying staff, everybody's competing with that business. That's right. Because or, their or, profits are out of, you know, their margin artificially, is artificially. Exactly. Artificially selling kegs low because they want to move them even though they can't sustain that as a business. That though all is a separate, that, stuff. Th- that actually wasn't the... Um, that's another great argument. Yeah. So, so you're <laughs> we'll actually that yes, one. so we're we'll adding that. that. So, but <laughs> so my, I I mean, see my that. argument is the last thing we need is more dumb money being sucked into the mm-hmm. industry, thinking that they're going to get a massive return. That that because stone and wood, yes, you made a return. Yeah. No one who is invested in equity crowdfunding on a ten, ten million ten million dollar valuation is going to get a return. Yeah. No, and the market is fundamentally different now mm. today. From stone and wood back then. Oh right? yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, like we're just in a really much more competitive. It's why I always laugh yeah. about it's hearing smart different. investors or you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, <laughs> sophisticated, sophisticated investors. investors because <laughs> there's not too much sophisticated thinking um, going into a lot of this sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, just last point on that one though. Uh, on that I one? am I am glad that we reported the way we did and totally tooting my own horn, but yeah, better yeah. than the AFR because the your point about. Um, the perception of the industry being paved with gold effectively, mm. they really did talk about, Jonathan Hepner did talk about how shit a time he's had it, how hard it is, how men, how it affected his mental health, oh, yeah. all of these things which basically say to anybody who reads that in the industry, this is freaking hard. Yeah. This isn't a walk in the park and this is what could potentially happen through not necessarily any fault of your own, just how hard it is. And how this is where, when we discuss it in the abstract, yeah. we're actually talking about people and businesses. Yes. Yes. But again, there is a you know there there is a need for that mm-hmm. um, to some extent. So and let's hope that this merger is successful mm-hmm. for everyone involved. Uh, yeah, well, I hope it. I hope it goes okay. Um, yep. The the one thing I will say 
it'll be interesting to see what comes. But if you look at, um, you know, we did a story a couple of weeks ago about, or a week or two ago, about Beer Cartel. Yes. Mm. Um, you know, Beer Cartel was talking about COVID being a massive opportunity mm-hmm. for them because people were yep. not going to pubs. They mm-hmm. were going to online, online yep. and, and, yep. and bottle shops. Now, Bucket Boys was CBD-based, which during COVID was, was going to be hurt, but they had an online business, mm-hmm. and I haven't seen what happened there. Um, it just wasn't enough to offset, just wasn't enough to because offset, they yeah. obviously had the cost of having just opened a quite expensive venue in a high foot traffic yep. area that relied on tourists and people going into yep. the yep. office, and so it just couldn't balance well, that. It's the same. I mean, I don't. I know you guys always give me crap because I go on about <laughs> New Zealand, but New Zealand are in the height of this sort of. Um, you know, shadow lockdowns and even when the real lockdowns were, the CBDs of Auckland and Wellington where there was the highest foot traffic mm-hmm. for some of their venues are just really struggling, really struggling. Mm. And so, mm-hmm. you know, that is the case. And as people's lives has changed as a result of COVID, including never maybe going back to the office with that same level of volume that mm-hmm. they yep. had before, um, it's going to fundamentally change the way inner cities look and feel and work and, you know, our industry is going to be impacted by that. Yep. Although, and again, look, looking back at, at the, the batch side of this transaction, you know, mm-hmm. batch, um, again, I, I have issues with their valuation, particularly given, you know, in their documents and in the podcast we had with them, they were trumpeting the fact that some of their early investors got a, I think from memory it was a 200% return because a sophisticated investor who had made money in the coffee industry had bought into batch not long before their equity crowd funded and so all of the initial, which to my way of thinking actually gives a valuation, you know, a sophisticated money valuation um, based on, well, this is a percentage, this is how much they invested. You can work out if they've made a 200% return what the business is worth. They didn't want to come at that when it came to the equity crowdfunding valuation, Mm -hmm. which was separate. So they're essentially mining their best customers' um, passion more so than, which is what BrewDog always did. You know, the, the equity crowd funders paid a, a, a premium over the sophisticated investors yeah, who, well, who the got Heineken better. Example, yeah. The Heineken yeah. example, yeah. The Heineken example. But yeah. And you've got to be careful how you treat people in that kind of That was less than a year ago that, I think a, a year ago that Batch did their equity crowdfunding mm-hmm. announcing their plans. And I think their plans were announced during COVID. Am I right in saying that? Yep. So, and... So they don't quite have the same COVID thing. And they're saying, well, we weren't our plans that we announced during the equity crowdfunding didn't come to fruition. Um, so this is a natural partnership for us without actually explaining very much about why their plans didn't come to fruition because I can think of half a dozen breweries that over the course of COVID went ahead with you know, expansion plans. I mean, we just had this conversation about Mighty Craft changing and not explaining it to everyone. Not everybody knows when they're in it. You know, not everybody knows precisely why. They can't tell you the exact five steps that they've taken to go from making this decision to that decision. Mm -hmm. But a range of things come together. The three oranges turn up and they go, we've got to go in another direction. I I, I don't want to have unreasonable expectations or anything like that. And that business is changing. You need the flexibility to do it. But at the same time, when they announced the sale, you know, Bucket Boys announced it first. Quite reasonably, the the batch guy said, well, it was up to him, you know, Mm. Um, them to announce it but then I think eight hours later when Batch sent out their email it was the opening lines of their email was oh look you know we wanted to tell you guys but it, the story was leaked to Bruce News <laughs> you heard it first, going, lads. well no but, <laughs> yeah, but, but they were they were putting on us their shitty communication their <laughs> lack of a strategy by saying we wanted to tell you first yeah, yeah, but, but Bruce News the, but we some, didn't leak I nothing was leaked to us that's we, fair it's been a bit of a tricky time for them yeah. people have had covid it's been, and i just I'm, think I'm well, a bit I, don't know. I, I, about I, I think that if you're about to announce you've taken over you know a, a, oh, another yeah, company I'm, I'm not saying you they have did a your good communication job. no but <laughs> you certainly don't blame it the story yeah. wasn't leaked to us we reported mm-hmm. on an email that had already gone out into the public domain and that's an important point to make everyone anyone who's listening as soon as you send information outside of your business as in your direct employees that is public and we can report on that. Just FYI, anybody. That's, oh, there's it, been a few a few things and comments over the past few months. That's public. Just well, sorry. It just if is. somebody <laughs> wants to leak something to us, we can report on it. We yeah. just choose not to. Exactly. Because if we prematurely announce something that, you know, 
we do appreciate that these are sometimes, sensitive negotiations. And sometimes, for example, you received embargoed information. Yep. And I know that Bruce News is very good at saying we will not report on that embargoed information even 10 minutes prior to being able mm-hmm. to report yeah. on that embargoed information. Yeah, we're, we're, but if you, as a, as a corporation, send information out into the public sphere mm-hmm. without any declaration that it's sensitive, yep. commercial, but it's confidential, embargoed, for example. A letter to your shareholders is Fair game. Fair <laughs> game, right? It's news. And, and uh, I just want to make that point because uh, like I, I was a little bit upset to be told that we... Really? That, well, I quite we liked it. We, I'm on it. Well, we frequently <laughs> told things... I can't things, hear that in the tone of your voice. <laughs> we, we frequently hear things um, before they're announced. Yeah. But you know that... You know, our business isn't based on being first. It's not on clickbait or anything like that. We want the industry to look to us to report on things fairly and accurately. Yep. But there is a responsibility with that. If we hear something, you know, we often hear of takeovers or, you know, like things that, or product releases or things like that that you could just go to town on and get cheap traffic. But if it hasn't been, if the business isn't ready for it and we report on it, then it can actually hurt businesses. Um, you know, if you announce something before it, it before the contracts are signed or whatever, you can actually yep. jeopardise. And we've heard of takeovers mm-hmm, mm-hmm. before the contract's been signed that you could report on, yep. but that could see one of the partners, which could material, you know, impact one of. Them. And so we don't do that. And and that's where to read somebody say something was leaked to us. Hey, Claire, aren't you about to teach a course on journalism ethics? I am, yes. <laughs> so <laughs> I feel like you're right across the Okay, yeah, yeah, anyway. Yeah, that's fair. Um, can we talk about the Queensland Awards just quickly? Yeah. Sure. So I had um, two things on this. One, that the Queensland Awards went ahead right in the middle of flooding. Um, so, uh. it, you know, it was really remarkable that they existed at all, but it also was really remarkable that the Queensland brewing industry in terms of judges, stewards, organisers, supporters, um, made it happen because without all of those volunteers, those awards couldn't proceed and you had all the beer in place. And, you know, to put that in context, there were roads closed, um, there was no public transport. It was a really difficult time. Um, so, you know, shout out to everybody who made it happen. I think that was huge. Um, and then the second thing I just wanted to flag, which is sort of about the awards but not really, is really about – so I stewarded at those awards um, – I used to run the New Zealand Beer Awards. I love getting involved in beer awards. Um, but just a, you know, a shout out to industry to say, um, and I won't say who this person is, but I had a conversation with someone recently who said the reason they are now in their very senior role in a uh, brewing business is because they got into stewarding. Um, because they were encouraged to get into stewarding and they built relationships and networks and they started to develop an appreciation for styles, the business of beer, they built relationships. And so I would encourage anybody who's ever thinking about getting involved to steward at a beer competition and start, you don't, you don't need to progress to being a sensory judge if you don't want to. You can focus on the back of house. But it is such an invaluable opportunity to see how beer competitions run, what the styles of beer are that are out there, build relationships, in your own networks that you can rely on into the future. Um, And so with that, although this is not – the AIBA have just opened up their stewarding applications online um, and that is, you know, a massive competition. There's four days of opportunities. But I just think, you know, I just – Say again, it's such a great way to get involved in the industry and see it from an entirely different perspective and break down some of those relationship barriers. So um, I love doing it. I know other people have done as well. Um, so heads up to that. Oh, That's my big absolutely. shout out. Excellent. Four weeks to um, – the entries are open for the AIBAs as well, just everyone. Yeah. Make sure you get them in. Uh, is beer and surfing the right mix? The world uh, oh, we picked yeah. up on this. The World Surf League's announcement uh, that it has agreed to a three-year sponsorship with Cooper's Brewery for Australian <laughs> events raised a few eyebrows this yeah. week, which is significant given that drinking is linked with a significant number of ocean drowning deaths. Now I um, can hear people rolling their <laughs> eyes, um, you know, going, "Has Fair uh, sponsored this particular uh, segment?" <laughs> but the Royal Life Saving Society, which you know um, mm. is very closely related to uh, World Surf uh, Surfing in, in a way. Yeah. Um, um, advised that alcohol continues to be a drowning issue over somewhere 24. Um, it, it, this is an interesting one. I, uh, it, it does come back to Cooper's and Cooper's marketing, um, which sometimes it's a little bit old and stuffy and they... No, you're not, I, you're I not really surfing and drinking. It's spectators that are drinking, I would have thought. 
So this is the question around what the ABAC would be looking at, right? Mm-hmm. You can't have a dangerous activity being undertaken, pictured with alcohol, right? Yeah. But after the dangerous activity, yeah, that's perfect. You can acceptable. have a beer, right? Yeah. So I always think about we've got brands that I have seen in New Zealand, um, downhill mountain mountain biking. You finish, you have, have a, a beer. Cold one. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, we've got a a brewing company there that sponsored wake a wakeboarding competition. No, and I think this is a professional sporting league. Mm-hmm. They are not suggesting. Yeah. I don't think in any way that you what are having it? a drink. Yeah. A sports and person would never water. do that, right? And yeah. so I, I don't know. Like I understand this linkage between don't consume alcohol and do dangerous activities. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. is this but really? This like, isn't about that. I don't think though. It's about um, sports and alcohol being. Um, interlinked it's much wider than like the specific ABAC situation it is, but I think it's because we look at at surfing and go that's not the same tier as so you can sponsor soccer a- NRL AFL all of these things that are more mature in our minds as a real sport and mm-hmm. then we look at surfing and go oh that's a thing that's not yeah. a real we don't hold yeah. it in the same regard as um, as other sports, which mm-hmm. is why it gets the side eye more yeah, yeah. than sponsoring other sports would. Yeah, that's fair. I think that's fair to say. I think surfing's more of a sport. But it's in also terms of I'm just saying, look, I don't yeah. this why is this one better or worse than better any, or worse yeah. than yeah. other well, out than you don't other drown playing soccer. Uh, I think if so you, you got married s- and played AFL or NRL, I think that would be a huge problem. Oh, yeah, you can, yeah. You're, you're going to pull a hammy. Um, <laughs> no, you're going to get like brain injuries. Yeah, and but stuff, you're not going to play like that. Uh, well, like, you're like you're not going go go no, okay. to be a professional. <laughs> I, I, I take your point, I, but I think it's the water and water <laughs> oh, is yeah, a major the water. Um, the water. And Especially same here as driving, because we've seen yeah. all of the discussion driving, around yeah. you know zero the alcohol-free beers and driving. Yeah. Um, even though it's actually a really smart. Um, connection when you've got a Heineken or a Carlton brand that is Mm -hmm. also has an alcoholic same as being a supermarket things like that I I, I guess I came at this a little bit differently that you know it was Cooper yeah because it's Cooper well well, no no, because it's Cooper's and they've got XPA that is you know you've got Bolter and they've got the surfers and it's Cooper's trying to get a little bit of that surfing magic I don't know we always make fun of Cooper's for that though we love you Cooper's really they they don't do they don't do a lot that's terribly original. It wouldn't have been <laughs> in my mind the most natural coupling. No, no. Um, Which is what, where, where I leapt to that. Yes. Well, why would they do? So? But isn't but they, that interesting about partnerships to. in the industry? Because we've just got the VB and the high-end design oh, thing next, <laughs> which I thought was so weird. Like, I, have you seen that one? That's so strange. It, it is Collaborate so strange. with Australian designer Stratius Carlucci to create a range of luxury clothing emblazoned with Victoria Bitter. The, 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 the How VB, weird. Um, men's but maybe that's and, and, and the maybe, Dunlop volleys and, you know. I loved the Dunlop they volleys. Yeah, they if, they'd, if they'd made them in my size, I would have owned them. Um, I've got a pair of them. Maybe this is a shout-out, uh, uh, a Shane Warne legacy. Oh. He, he, he brings those two things together, high-end yeah, gorgeous yeah. clothing and VB. Maybe this is a Shane Warne um, legacy <laughs> outcome. I don't. Um, I just think have a think about your partnerships. It might sound all right on the outside. It's great for VB. Well, it's, it's great for both of them. You know, it's, yeah. it's, it, this is one of those no news is bad news things. But also, mm. also like back to the about World BB. Surf League. I mean, mm. clearly they need the sponsorship to continue to run these activities, right? Yes. Ultimately, yes. they are. You know, they need money to run these things. And, and it's, if it's alcohol and gambling these days are the people with money, which is why they're so easy to hate. Because <laughs> you can't have smoking anymore. Um, but actually, incidentally, and, and this is a downstream potential problem, mm-hmm. the more comp- the, the louder the complaints get about alcohol, the way that, you know, the Benson Hedges Ashes test series, mm-hmm. you know, w- which my oh, generation grew up with. Yeah. This is 100% mm-hmm. coming. I mean, in New Zealand, Steinlager, I think, are the primary sponsors of um, America's Cup, the sailing, and, you know, that's water. And sailing and booze and that is starting those conversations yep. about should alcohol be banned from any sport is kicking off. There we go. Okay, mailbag. 
And we thank New Zealand Ale Trail um, for sponsoring our mailbag, www.nzaletrail.com or at NZ Ale Trail on social media to find the best experiences. And from July, Australians will be able to cross the ditch and experience, not just research, some of those experiences. And the New Zealand Ale Trail is the place to do that. Oh, my God, I can't wait. I can't yeah. wait either. Oh, I have a list. I Are just- we allowed back in yet? Just July. 22nd July. Oh, right. Okay. Beautiful. Okay. Uh, Adam Galley on cans. Just listening to Bruce Newsweek. Let us not forget the big consumer demand for cans in craft. Personally, I'm not buying anything in bottles unless it's large format and sale. I have no desire to pack my fridge full of regular sized bottles, nor do I want to carry the weight. Uh, if I'm out at a bar, I prefer to drink draft offerings. If at a restaurant, I've always had packaged offerings brought out in the glass without the package. I'm not sure it's a conspiracy by retail distributors. <laughs> yeah. Now, can I just say... That wasn't my thesis. Was never that it was a conspiracy. No, I think it was. I think he was saying it was my thesis. But yeah. um, but I, I don't disagree with him. I think consumers. Yeah. The reason consumers do want it, which is why they're popular. That's right. And and we didn't talk about you know. There's all sorts of other positives that we didn't talk about. Cans. We didn't talk about the art wrap. The way it's, we, there was a whole host of things we didn't cover off. This was. Um, so, Adam, totally agree with you. Absolutely right. But this is an example where inertia creates a lock. Where because That's right. you know because. That, um, retailers have adjusted their shelves. You can't get bottles, which makes it harder to do. You bottles. can't switch to bottles. You can't switch to bottles, um, yeah. which means that. It, so really, it was about um, lack of um, aluminium tins and the inability to switch your product, That's which is limiting we to an industry. Because I think there are some very powerful reasons that, in certain circumstances, bottles are better. Um, or or even that you've got options, yep. right? So that was what that was about. But yes, Adam, totally agree with and you. And that sort of uh, you know, inertia of, of the industry all going in one way is stealing that away. Now it's time for Bluestone Yeast, Beer of the Week. Australia's first and only liquid yeast manufacturer. Bluestone Yeast have over 100 yeast strains in their biobank and are always adding more. You can reach out to them at info at bluestoneyeast.com.au or call Derek on 03851831. And talk all things yeast. And as we like to say, don't find a pen while you're driving <laughs> or while you're running or whatever yep. you're doing when you're listening. Uh, you, that's all in the show notes. You can find a link. And we thank Bluestone News. And the Bruce News Business Directory. And the Bruce News Business Directory, of course. Ah. Now, my beer of the week is, and it, it actually came up in the news this week, which is the NAS XPA, um, which is. A uh, partnership between Akasha uh, and Reckless Brewing, but also Naz Campanella, um, who is an AB- the ABC uh, Disability, Disability Affairs, Affairs reporter. reporter um, yep. Who anyone who listens to ABC or Old Men Radio, as my uh, children call it, um, <laughs> is it like the BBC? It is a BBC. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, it's the publicly funded. Yeah. And funnily enough, uh, it ties into the mailbag because uh, our regular listener and correspondent, Graham, uh, I think it's Frizzle, um, not Frizzell. Frizzle, Graham, please correct I us. I like Frizzle. Not only uh, is this my beer of the week because it is a great tasting beer from Akasha, um, it's also my beer of the week because, uh, well, it, it's relevant because Graham Frizzell, um, who is also uh, you know, a, a certified Cicerone beer enthusiast writer um, for various publications around the place, but Graham is legally blind. Um, and so this is a very, very nice uh, segue to that. Um, and even though it's our beer of the week, uh, Graham's letter says, this is terrific. Burnley Brewing are working on a similar initiative as well. We've been in talks uh, for a little while now. I'm a large print and digital format guy myself, but the iPhone now has Braille capabilities that could be implemented too. That is Talking so cool. About, yeah, so it's um, uh, a beer that's been presented pre- uh, prepared with NAS as a promotion, but then it's got Braille um, on the yeah. label, so you can sort of uh, read it um, when oh, you wow, are. wow, that's cool. I love that. I just think, I mean, it ties back to, I mean, not taking away from this specific um, outcome, which I think is great, and the more these things occur, the easier, as soon as someone does it, it'll be easier for other people to adopt uh, the cost of production and things hopefully will go down to implement things like Braille and those sorts of things. We'll have to talk to Rellings to find out whether they've got capabilities to do Braille. Oh, wonderful. Good idea. I just think it's great, but it also, you know, a couple of weeks ago we were reporting on the Dylan Ulfroth and you are starting to see some of, um, you know, when we talk about inclusivity moving beyond um, women, mm-hmm. we're yep, starting yep. to see some, um, you know, disabilities yeah. specifically brought into beer, which is just cumulatively going to continue to mm-hmm. be a good thing. So this is a wonderful um, 
wonderful example of what can be done with a little bit of ingenuity and good to hear from Graham that it's um, that other breweries are looking at it as well. Looking yeah. at it. And uh, so back to the Bluestone Yeast uh, um, angle. So we thank Bluestone Yeast for sponsoring this. And the beer itself, uh, Akasha, Reckless Brewing and the ABC's Naz Campanella joined forces for, and it's, it is also for International Women's Day 22, hey. to bring you this breezy, easygoing XPA alive with tropical and stone fruit vibes, making the craft more accessible than ever. Scan the QR code and learn how we're working to Hashtag break the bias. So oh, thank you. Nice. Congratulations to all involved in the beer and mm-hmm. thank you to Bluestone Yeast for making it possible. Anything else anyone wants to – we're so far over time this I week, know. but we missed last week. There was – so there were – Extras. En- I just yeah. wanted to, um, because I've done this a couple of times, um, the article um, that Bruce News put out on the NZ board. Yes. NZ Hops board announcement. Yep. So that's a fairly significant – announcement um, and there were a couple of comments uh, I think on the Bruce News articles when it was posted about um, you know another white male being appointed um, and you know that the phrase used sort of around the governance is you know Palmel and Stale is the board. Um, it's unfortunate that they couldn't find someone um, from within the ranks that are that had a bit more diversity in terms of visible diversity mm-hmm. um, at a minimum. But I think, you know, this really underpins some of the challenges of um, cooperative governance models. So uh, the person appointed, and I'm just going to triple check, has come from one of their um, institutional shareholders. So, um, you Which know... widens the pool, pool a little bit for potential... Um, maybe at, this, at that sort of skilled level, but when you look at it's got to have, you know, their board has got to have X number of people from mm. their farmers, from their cooperative, then you've got their executive. It, it, it does make it more challenging to find um, the visible diversity, and I'm not saying that's an excuse. Um, I'm sure Peter McLeod in, a, in and of his own right is highly skilled and in the space, but it is um, given that it's the peak body um, for hops that are trying to innovate the way that they go about their business a shame that the board looks from the outside so similar Mm. so that's my little piece then i i feel like matt you've got all your hobby horses and this is quickly becoming one that i point out and um (laughs) am i the only one that doesn't have these we're getting listener comments that you know they appreciate having different hobby horses. Oh, that's, not, that's my words, not theirs. But they're sort of saying, "Yeah, we did get a little bit sick of Matt's hobby horses." So maybe, maybe they'll be more, you know, thankful that there are new ones. Um, anyway, it's the hobby horse race. <laughs> Actually, there's a show title. Well, thank you. Um, thank you to you both. That wraps up another week of uh, news. Your hosts have been myself, Matt Kirkegaard, Claire Burnett and Sabrina Kunz. The show is produced by Vivian Topalovich and edited by Joanne Helder. Thank you to our supporters, Bespoke Brewing Solutions, Rallings Label Stickers and Packaging, Bluestone Yeast, New Zealand Ale Trail and Thirsty Merchants. Thank you all for listening. Share your thoughts on the show by emailing producer at brewersnews.com.au or leaving a review on your favourite podcasting service. And with that, we're out. Boom.